Praise the Lord. Good morning. Hallelujah. Open, if you would, in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Now, this is 3, chapter 1 through 7. Chapter 3, verse 1 through 7. Now the, what, serpent. That ever ceased to amaze you that he's represented in the form of a serpent here? That's always, it's interesting if you think about it, isn't it? It says, now the serpent was craftier than any of the what? Beasts or wild animals, depending on your version. So he was more subtle or craftier, this serpent, this actual animal, because he compares him with the other animals, right? But he was craftier or more subtle than any of the other beasts that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say? You see this um, arrogant beast here trying to... um, arrogantly say, did God say this or did God say that, and minimizing the word of God here. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her. He's right there with her. He ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked. So they sold fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, right now, Lord, put life into your word, Lord God. Hide me behind your cross. Humble me, Lord. Speak your word through me, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Hallelujah. Now turn to Revelation chapter chapter 20, verse 1. So we've got the beginning of creation, the first man, the first woman, and a Satan represented as a serpent, right? Now we've got the end of human history in Revelation when God's going to wrap it up at the end, and it says, And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand A great chain. That means a really big chain. He sees the dragon, just in case we're wondering who that is. It says that ancient serpent. So who would the ancient serpent be? The one we've seen in the beginning, right? So with the great chain, he sees the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil or Satan. Do you get the picture that he's trying to... Really make sure you don't miss who this is. Okay? And bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss, locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore. So what was he doing? From the beginning, he was deceiving the nations against who? God. He was trying to work against God with deception and make us believe things about God that aren't true. Correct? And it says, So he would not deceive the nations anymore, which means what's he doing to the nations? Deceiving them. Until the thousand years were ended after that, he must be set free for a short time. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus 
Because the word of God, they had not worshipped the beast or his image, not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ. Hallelujah. They came to life and reigned with Christ. A thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until a thousand years were ended. That is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. Second death has no power over them. We can go down to verse 7. It says, When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison, will go out to deceive the nations from the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, gather them for battle. In number, they are like the sand of the seashore. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. But fire came down from heaven, devoured them, and the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented there night, uh, day and night forever and ever. All right, so we see the beginning and the end of a serpent, the ancient serpent. From the beginning and the end, we see that his job is to deceive us, deceive the nations, deceive the people, And he's been doing this from the beginning. He'll do it till the end, right? He'll be in a prison with a great chain for a thousand years, and it's just his nature. When he's released, what will he do again? He'll deceive again, and he'll regather Gog and Magog. Once again, they will be deceived by this ancient serpent. And so I want to look at this nature of this ancient serpent, because I think if we don't know his nature, and we don't see what God is representing through this serpent, then maybe we'll be susceptible to his deception. How many think that we will will be very susceptible to his deception unless we know his methods of operation? And his method of operation is to deceive you yesterday, to deceive you today, and to deceive you forever until the time God finally puts him in a pit and he can never touch another person again. Right? But we want to make sure that we're not deceived by this ancient serpent. Okay? So I want to begin to look. In fact, uh, James 4, 7 says this. Submit yourselves then to God... Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So that's telling us that if we are able to submit ourselves to God, we can actually resist him. And not only can we, but he's going to flee from us. He's going to run from us if we show some resistance. Right? That's good to know, actually. What if that were not in the Bible? It's good to know that. Ephesians 4.27 says... And do not give the devil a foothold. King James says, neither give place to the devil. Darby translation says, neither give room for the devil. World English Bible says, neither give place to the devil. The Young's literal translation interprets it, neither give place to the devil. So clearly it's saying that you have the ability to allow him to have a place or a foothold, or room to operate, but it's also saying that you have an ability uh, to make sure he doesn't have that. Right? And so we're trying to get the parameters here. What am I capable of doing, and what am I not capable of doing through Christ? And he's saying we can resist, and we can actually not even give him room to operate, not even have a place to get a foothold, not even a place to be involved in our life. All right? So let me go off subject a little bit here. It's not off subject, but a little off the scriptural subject. Because in order to understand something spiritual, the Bible almost always gives us simple physical things to help understand the spiritual. And the spiritual is always more important than the physical. And so I want to talk a little bit about living with snakes. Why? 
Because that ancient serpent wants to live with you. And you're either going to let him live with you. Or you're going to not allow him to live with you. Either you're going to resist him. Either you're going to not give him a place. Not give him a foothold. Not give him room to operate. Or you're going to choose foolishly to say, let's live with snakes. So I started looking up. Advice for bad pets. Because how many know if you decide to take something on as a pet, you're deciding, I want something from the animal kingdom to be my friend. I want to be friendly with this animal, and I want this animal to be friendly with me. And we can choose from the whole animal kingdom, evidently. And so we see what's called the realm of exotic pets. All right, so non-exotic would be dog. That's pretty normal for a person to domesticate a dog. All right, so common that, you know, you don't even have, you don't even have to be stated, okay? Then a cat, fairly normal. But then there are some people out there that say, man, I want to have the most different one. I want, to, I want to domesticate something maybe other people wouldn't normally do because I'll be the cool kid on the block. So you start finding people. It starts off minor. They're walking their goat through town. Maybe they're walking their bobcat. Or maybe Mike Tyson makes a fortune in boxing and he's got his family of tigers. And then somebody says, well, man, I want to, I've always wanted a grizzly bear. You know, and then all of a sudden you have this whole industry, and then somebody says, you know what? A snake would make a great pet. And so I started looking up, and, and a lot of the lists of bad pets are snakes. It says, some, while some snake, this is the warning they give you, while some snake species can live long, problem-free lives in captivity and be docile pets. Others make awful captives. Cobras, rattlesnakes, and other venomous species are no-brainers. Really? Let me show you the pet that I have. Well, where's Ed? He's in the other room. I keep him in this case, and you open the case, and you just see that little cobra pop up. This is your pet, a cobra? Now who would have a cobra as a pet? You realize that if that cobra somehow gets out of captivity, you're probably going to die. And so that's a no-brainer, they say, but you know, all no-brainers are not all no-brainers, right? Python, let's see, cobras, rattlesnakes, and venomous snakes are a no-brainer. But other snake species are kept as pets, but they are terrible pets. Here's our list of pets that you probably should not have. The African rock python. Several factors combine to make him a terrible pet. He can reach 20 feet or more in length, and he requires lots of food that are appropriate for a large snake, such as chickens and rabbits. Okay, now if you're if he's eating chickens and rabbits, guess what he's going to do to your dog and your cat when he gets out? And maybe a young child. This is a great subject on a Sunday morning, isn't it? <laughs> but that's not the real problem. The problem is his disposition is best described as irritable. Which can make keeping a African rock python as a pet exceptionally scary. Um, the reticulated python. While most captive specimens will be 12 to 14 feet, this one will get up to 32 feet long. In wild habitats, this species is feared for killing farm animals and humans. That's somebody's exotic pet, reticulated python. 32 foot long in your house And it's known to kill farm animals and people, but that is my domestic pet. (laughs) Okay, he's in my house. How about maybe the boa constrictor? 
Boa constrictors often have benign dispositions, but their attitudes are known to change and they are capable of delivering an extremely hard bite and can kill you with their restriction. So they can turn on you. Burmese python. The Burmese python is commonly kept captive. Despite its length of 20 feet, the real problem with these are they reproduce readily and prolifically in captivity, depositing 100 eggs per clutch. You know there's a real serious problem in Florida because of captive pythons and how many eggs they lay. So the problem is not so much your irritable boa constrictor, your Burmese python, rather. The problem is that that 20-foot mommy is going to have 100 babies. <laughs> okay, Then you've got problems. <laughs> Green anaconda, they're irritable. They require huge amounts of food. They're active, enormous size. Uh, they can weigh up to 485 pounds. That's your pet. 485-pound snake in your house. Flying snakes. Now, these are good, small, manageable snake. Okay, they can't technically fly, but they do have adaptations that let them spread their ribs, which provides lift, and so they can jump from tree to tree. <laughs> That'd be a good one in the house, right? And then we got a local one here. Here's a little fellow that I've met before. If you've ever been out in the field uh, with a tractor and you came, in, you came along a black racer locally, this is the honorous little snake. I mean, they are mean, they'll chase you. The other snakes will kind of go away from you. And it says black racers are terrible pets because they have a terrible temperament and they don't change over time. Some will become more gentle as you get to know them, but the black racer never gets gentle. He's always angry. And he always wants to bite you, and they will constantly bite you. And so it's an angry little snake. But see, it's, it, it, it's a no-brainer, right? that it's probably not a good idea to bring a cobra or a rattlesnake into my home. Probably not a good idea to put a killing machine that eats meat and distributes venom and can constrict me to death in my home, in my house. But when it comes to Satan, that great serpent, that ancient serpent, I want you to think about what Satan did in the garden. He said, you will... She said, we'll surely die. God said, you'll surely die. Satan was like, you're not going to die. And guess what? They did die, and they didn't die right away. It's like a serpent saying, when I bite you with my venom, you won't die. When I sink my fangs into your physical body, you're not going to die. And you know what? That serpent is right. You're not going to die yet. You're going to live miserably for a short period of time until the venom begins to flow through your body, begins to generate through your nervous system, begins to get to your heart, begins to paralyze and you can't breathe and then finally you'll eventually die. And see, this is what Satan does. We have a judgment against us of death because we listened to that ancient serpent. We were deceived and we're continuing to be deceived. And he says, you're not going to die. But we all know we have a destination with death. We all know that we have the fangs have been inserted in every human being that has come into this world. Physically, we're going to die and it's because of the lie of that serpent. We all had those fangs have been put into us. Now the only difference is Jesus Christ provides an antidote. And sometime over the course of the biting, the fangs, the poison, the lie, the deception, and the time we die, we have to find the antidote. And if we don't find the antidote, we're going to die eternally. But if we find it, then we will live eternally. And that's the message of the Bible in very simple 
physical analogy, what the Bible is telling us is that we have been bit by this deception, this lie, this separation from God, this deception of an ancient serpent, and he's still trying to lie to us today. He's still trying to deceive us. He's still trying to inject poison into us. As we go along with these, there is a... um, there's a thing, it's called, how many have ever heard a thing called the snake line? Have I ever heard that term before? If you are a, all of us have a little probably frontier blood in, our, in us, you know, because our ancestors were all frontiersmen and they were clearing land and they were moving in new areas and territories. How many have ever been camping? How many have ever heard of a snake line camping? Okay, there's a thing called a snake line because an, a, a snake is cold-blooded. It doesn't have any way to produce heat to raise its temperature. So there are certain uh, temperatures where a snake can operate. A, a snake is very comfortable in 70 to 100 degrees. Okay, that's why in warmer areas you find snakes really active. And so many species of snakes are in tropical areas and areas that are warm. And then there are certain areas where a snake just doesn't operate very well when it's cold. And so when you're looking to find a prospective area to camp in areas where there are snakes, okay, when frontiersmen came and began to clear the land, a lot of times they had a perfectly good area in a valley, and they could have cleared that land and could have put their settlement there, but then what they would do is they would build an area that was above what's called the snake line. And they knew that it would be harder. They knew that we would have to clear some area up on a high place and clear an area of rocks and maybe clear an area for trees, but it's so much worth it to live in an area where there are no snakes. And I can see some spiritual analogies with that. I would much rather live my life and build my home in an area where snakes don't like to live. Because when they need to get warm, do you know where they want to go on a campsite? In your sleeping bag. Okay? And they don't make good bed partners. Popular, Contrary to popular belief, they aren't good bed partners. Okay? And so what God's calling us to do is to live a life above the snake line. Live a life where we're not sleeping with the serpents. We're not traveling with the serpents. We're not hanging out with the serpent. You know, we're trying to reach people for Christ, but we're living our life. We're not going to live our lives with unpredictable natures. Natures that, listen to this, Satan wants to steal, he wants to kill, and he wants to destroy you. Why do I want Satan a part of my life? Why do I want him in my home? Why do I want him in my thinking? Why do I want him as a part of my life when his whole purpose stated in the Bible is to steal, kill, and destroy? And there's nothing in that Bible that shows any different. And so if I start listening to Satan's lies in my life, if his counsel is how I live my life in church, I'm going to get to this minute, I've got to hold off on that. But if I live my life based on His counsel, then He's going to steal from me. He's going to try to kill me and He's going to try to destroy me. And there's so many people, in fact, the Bible says that the unrighteous, their life is hard. You know, if you build your house below the snake line in a tropical area, how many know that your life is going to be really hard? How many know that living among snakes can't be easy? There was that old movie years ago, Harrison Ford was scared of snakes. Remember they threw him in that pit full of nothing but snakes. And somehow that's the kind of life we choose sometimes. We want to be around the venom. We want to be around the poison. We want to be around the constrictors of life. And what God is saying is, I want to put you in a place above the snake line above the deception, above the lies. And and you say, no, but I love snakes, man. I love to live with them. 
I love that 400-pound baby that I have in my home that if he could get loose would cut the life off of, of me and swallow me whole. <laughs> do you know that? Their nature is to do that. Their nature is to do that. And so we got to choose that we don't want that in our life. Now listen, there's a... Uh, there's all kinds of uh, vipers in the world. There's all kinds of poisonous snakes, several different species I talked about as pets. How many of you know in the Bible, there's lots of different species of snakes that you're going to find in this world? Some of the ones we recognize the quickest are secular vipers. Non-Christian, agnostic, atheist backslidden, and you say, well, man, how do they function? How do they operate? You're going to flip on your TV. And you're going to flip through the satellite stations, and you're going to come. The majority of the stations that you're going to turn on, there are going to be philosophies, ideals, teachings that are going to be directly and contrary to God. Directly contrary to God. They're going to be opposed to God. They're going to be against God. And you say, are they just going to come out and say it? No, they're going to be against the life that God's called us to live. They're going to be opposed to the... They're going to laugh at the uh, ideal... uh, In fact, all through the New Testament, Paul, for instance, uh, clearly in every book of the Bible says, this is how we expect Christians to live, and this is how the pagans live. And he's constantly teaching, this is the expectation for the church. And this is how you'll know that they're mine. And that serpent will come right in if you get comfortable with him. And he'll inject poison. And you say, well, that wasn't so bad. I was just watching that show and I know I felt funny watching it. And and said, but I feel normal. And then you just start to feel that poison creep up in your heart. In fact, that's what it's going to do. It's going to reach your heart, and it's going to paralyze your heart, and you're going to quit breathing. And that poison just gets inside of you. And if you're not careful and you don't know the Word of God, and you're not cautious about who you're around, I mean, you're going to be around those friends, and they're going to say, man, getting high is the greatest thing. And they're going to convince you that smoking weed is a good thing. And you're with a viper. They're going to say, man, I get drunk every weekend. It's the greatest thing, man. So awesome. They're going to tell you so many awesome things. And they're not going to tell you the result, but the Word of God tells you the results of what happens. And they're just going to, that snake's going to be like, oh man, I need the warmth of people. And you're going to say, this is my friend. I've domesticated a snake. I'm the coolest guy on the block. And you're going to think you've mastered this thing? And he's my buddy. This 400 pound python is my friend. His name's Fred. And he loves me. This cold blooded snake loves me. I've domesticated Satan himself. Satan works for me. Satan's here to make me happy. Eat, drink, and be merry. I've mastered Satan. The ancient serpent, the devil, the one that God needed a strong, big chain to chain away for a thousand years, the one who deceived all the nations. You've mastered him, right? And so we curl up with the world. We say, man, I'm going to be all right. And the next thing you know, now I've been stung by a bunch of bees, a bunch of hornets. I've been stung by lots of those things. But I've never been in a den of vipers. I've never walked out with 10 or 15 bites on me. But how many know you can walk into a den of vipers spiritually and you can have so much poison running through your body, you say, Chad, am I going to make it? You better get away from that den of vipers. Because they're going to inject poison in you. They're going to inject it in you. And it's going to destroy any ability to know God. 
That's what Satan's trying to do. Inject ideas into you. Did God really say? Is God really like this? Does God really do this? Does God really say that? Does God really expect this? You see his method of injecting you with his poison? It's thoughts. It's actions. It's ideas injected in you. Now the children of Israel... Actually, I've got to finish this thought. Secular is the one we think of. But how many know there are religious vipers? Religious vipers. Matthew 23, 33, Jesus said, You snakes, you brought of vipers, how will you escape the sentence of hell? Secular vipers? Are you kidding me? Church, if we're not careful, we'll get involved with religious vipers. And you say, well, what's a religious viper? That's the one that's not teaching the Word of God. They're teaching rituals. They're teaching um, ideals that are contrary to the Bible. And, and, and I'm going to tell you something, church. And I might take some... I don't know if I will or not. But I think, I think there's a high percentage of the churches in this country that are religious vipers. A high percentage. And I think when you walk into that place, Jesus was saying that a lot of the Jews in his period of time, this was their greatest leaders. These were people that fasted more than you fast. People that read the Scriptures and know the Scriptures more than you know the Scriptures. People that tithe more than you tithe, but they were religious vipers. Jesus said, let me repeat it again, just to see if... Jesus needs to say what he thinks more often. You know, not beat around the bush, right? He says, I don't know if this is a euphemism or a better way to say it or not, or if he's just, he's blunt, right? You snakes, you brought a vipers, how will you escape the sentence of hell? Say what you mean, Jesus. (laughs) He's pretty clear. And these are very religious people. They were so religious that they didn't even know that the one from the very beginning who was going to die for their sins, who had the antidote, they didn't even know enough to know that he was the one. They didn't have enough to know that he was the one that died for their sins. He was the one that redeemed them. He was the one that they'd been waiting for. There were some people that were waiting for him, but they weren't in the religious group. They were fishermen. They were following John. They were listening to John's preaching. They were looking for the Messiah. And Jesus said, Behold, the Lamb of God that dies for the sins of the world. And several disciples began to follow him after that day because they were waiting for that person. And Jesus says in Luke 3, 7, no, actually, this is John. Then John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, You brought of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Do you see the religious serpents there? Do you see the ones that loved the people to follow them in their flowing robes? They loved people to be their disciples. They loved people to follow them. They loved the people to say that they were wise, and they were wonderful, and they were great. And they sat in high positions. And they were calling them religious vipers. Now what does a viper do? It puts poison inside of your thinking against God. They were poisoning the minds of the people with ideals that were contrary to God. John 8.44, Jesus says, You belong to your father. Speaking to the religious leaders. The devil, just in case they didn't know what he was talking about. You want to carry out his desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, refusing to uphold the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language because he is a liar and the father of lies. Jesus pretty clear about these vipers and the poison that they they were spewing to the people? You say, well, man, what is the effects? The effects of the bite. 
It says snakes are remarkable. They're successful in land. They succeed in sea. They succeed in the forest. They succeed in the grasslands, the lakes, and the desert. They are sinister. You see that? The all around us. All around us we see this infusion of teaching that is poison against God. We see it everywhere. And God is saying that you can build your life above the snake line. Above living among the serpents. And you say, man, what do I need to do? And Jesus says very clearly, come out from among them. And it seems like a simple call. Because why would I want to live in a den of snakes? Why would I want to live in a pit full of vipers? Why would I want to share my home with something that wants to steal, kill and destroy? So he says, come out from among them. And my heart says, okay, (laughs) I will, I want to. I don't want to live among this. And so he calls us out of that. But here's some of the... It says there's four things they put out. One thing is called a cytotoxin. It causes the exterior of your body to literally rot with poison. It it damages the outer tissue, and you begin to see that rotting away to the point where they almost have to amputate it. Then you see what's called a hemotoxin, which causes internal damage, internal bleeding. In fact, you can hemorrhage to death from a snake bite because of the internal bleeding from a hemotoxin. Well, man, this has nothing to do. This totally blew my whole analogy, didn't it? If you've been snake bitten, some of you have already walked a few steps ahead and you know where I'm going, okay? The Holy Spirit's already revealing what it revealed to me earlier. All right? You'll start seeing it on the outside. Every behavior that proceeds out of your mouth, every word, every action, started in your heart. And so when you've, when you've been snake bitten, it's going to affect every action that a human being takes. Right? And that's why God needs to heal us because we've all been bitten by sin. And that sin is going to rot away our exterior until we're dead. Church, it's not going to be very long. Everybody that's in this room is going to rot and decay. They'll say, oh, not me. I'm beautiful. I'm wonderful. We've all been snake bitten. And our behavior, get this, our behavior is going to rot as well. We're going to get worse and worse and worse. Oh, no, Chad, I'm getting better because I'm smart. We need a Savior. We need an antidote. We need somebody to teach us how to act because we don't know how. Our flesh will rot away. It will decay. We don't have the intelligence. We don't have the ability. We're rotting our behavior, our character. Everything needs a Savior. It needs an antidote that stops the rotten decay, you say, well, wait a minute. If we're rotting and decaying, that means the world probably is going to get worse and worse. The Bible says that the world is going to get worse and worse. And that's exactly what we see. But the Bible says we're going to go from glory to glory. We're going to get better and better. And you say, that's because I'm good and they're bad. No, it's because there's an antidote. There's an infusion of His Spirit that is an antidote that allows us to not rot and decay. That allows us to have eternal life. That allows us to change our character in His name and by His Spirit. And then the interior bleeding. And see, that's this poison that's causing this interior hemorrhaging. You understand, church, when the serpent bites you, okay, you see the character on the outside, but we don't see always what's going on on the inside. You say, man, he looks perfectly good, but he's hemorrhaging to death on the inside. You say, well, what causes all this external issues? 
What you're seeing on the external a lot of times is what's happening on the inside. Some people are going to their room at night and sitting on their bed and they're repeatedly, repeatedly being bitten by the serpent's poison. And inside they're hemorrhaging. Inside they're, they're so deep in depression because of that poison. You say, well man, what's the poison? The poison is unforgiveness. The poison is past abuse. The poison is failure. The poison is, insert whatever, self-esteem. And see, the enemy is allowed to bludgeon you privately. And that's the... How many have ever felt that? Sitting on your bed at home, nobody loves me, nobody cares about me. Why do I even want to live? Why do I even want to do this? Why do I do this? And why do I do that? And they're sitting home with a bottle of whiskey. And they don't know how to do anything different. They're sitting home uh, drugging themselves up intentionally, medicating themselves because they can't deal with being molested as a kid. They can't find forgiveness. They're mad about an ex-husband or an ex-wife. They're angry at the world that's around them. Do you understand, church? Sometimes inside you're hemorrhaging because of snake bite. Because the enemy is lying to you. The enemy is feeding you lie after lie after lie and telling you you're worthless. My God doesn't speak that way. Do you see the poison that is taking you away from what God says and feeding you a venom of an ancient serpent that wants to destroy you. How do you destroy somebody? Tell them they're worthless. Tell them there's no forgiveness. Tell them that this world is a bad place and it'll never get better. Take their hope away from them. Give them something that'll destroy them. Give them alcohol. Give them drugs. Give them heroin. Give them a needle. The ancient serpent venom is being put in your heart. Man, I hope there's no more things coming from this venom here. There's actually four of them. Neurotoxins. We can take a break here. Just, Just take a deep breath. This probably won't apply. The neurotoxins affect your nervous system. Sometimes sermons are just too easy to preach. I just go to the encyclopedia and look up snake bites. Literally, that's all I did, okay? But the Holy Spirit uses these examples for a reason. Neurotoxins. Well, how would the venom and the lies of the enemy affect me with neurotoxins? Neurotoxins is what brings paralysis. You ever been paralyzed with fear? You ever been afraid? 90% of the things you fear will never happen but we're paralyzed with it. And the enemy puts that venom in you. Neurotoxins. And boy, when they start circulating in your system, then all of a sudden you're paralyzed. Paralyzed in fear. Paralyzed about money. Paralyzed about this world. Paralyzed about my life. Paralyzed whether you did enough to raise your kids. Have you ever been there? We're paralyzed with all of these things and it's because we're listening to the words of the ancient serpent and he's able to inject his word instead of God's word. Neurotoxins. Then cardiotoxins. That's what goes directly to your heart. You say, well man, pastor, I I used to love God. I don't know what happened to my heart. I don't know what happened to my passion. I don't know what happened to my joy. I don't know what happened to my peace. I don't know what happened to my goodness, my gentleness. I know. Because it's happened to me within the last week. How many know that's true? We get stressed. We get tired. We get angry. And here comes those cardiotoxins, and our heart starts to change. 
And boy, we better find the antidote or we're going to have a bad day. I may have had a bad day 20 years ago when you were a young Christian. I mean, had a bad day 15 years ago when you were a little more mature. I mean, had a bad day yesterday. And the enemy will inject into your day cardiotoxins. And you might even hate God over it. You might even lose your joy. You might lose your peace. You might lose love. No, no, pastor, don't go that far. We would never lose love. He will inject the cardiotoxins and it'll go straight to your heart, it'll paralyze you, and you'll stop breathing. That's how the enemy works. Well, I think that's a pretty apt description of Satan, isn't it? Wow. How do you cure the snake bite? Numbers 21 is an interesting story. Some of you probably thought about this story when I started preaching. Numbers 21.4 says, They traveled from Mount Hor, going along the route to the Red Sea, to go around Edom. These people just were delivered mightily by God. No other group of people had ever seen the miracles that they seen when God delivered them from Egypt. They had seen, um, they had seen miracles in the Red Sea. They had seen the plagues. They had seen an empire, a world empire, uh, basically give them all of their riches and tell them to leave because God was so hard on the Egyptians, they had seen a lot. God had delivered this people and God was their God. And here they come out of Egypt and it says the people grew impatient on the way. Now when the rabbis, when they teach about this fiery serpent here that Moses made, they say it is a symbol of speaking against God. It's a Judgment of the tongue. Because they're speaking against God and they're speaking against God's man, Moses. It says, they grew impatient on the way they spoke against God and against Moses. And said, why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread. There is no water. We detest this miserable food. You see him right now? We detest this miserable food. I don't even do that well. (laughs) But they didn't, they didn't like the water, they didn't like the food, they didn't like the miserable food. It says, Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people and many Israelites died. They rejected God and they rejected God's man. And God was like, okay. And He just allowed fiery, venomous snakes to come among the people. And it says, and God's trying to teach us something here. We'll see in uh, Corinthians that it's an example for us. The Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. The Lord said to Moses, Make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake, put it on a pole, and when anyone was bitten by the snake, they looked at the bronze snake and they lived. Now the rabbis, when they taught that, would say it's more than just everybody was healed when they looked. They had to look and understand that he's the one that heals and the serpent's the one that kills. Do you hear me? They had to recognize the serpent kills and the Lord heals. See it and live. Look and live. Okay? And you say, well, what is this story all about? It's trying to tell us something. You go to 1 Corinthians 10, verse 6. Chapter 10, verse 6, it says, Now these things, talking about this wilderness example here, occurred as examples to keep us from setting our heart on evil things like they did. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink, got up to indulge in revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality, as some of them did, and 23,000 of them died one day. And we should not test Christ like some of them did and were killed by snakes. 
The New Testament says that story is for us. And what were they doing when they tested the Lord? They said, they spoke against God, and they spoke against His man. And what God is saying is, that's the venom. Do you see this ancient venom? They were bitten by the snakes before they got bitten by the snakes. Do you see this? They already were poisoned in their heart. They were already poisoned in their mind. And the reason I know that is because of what it came out of their mouth. They had already been poisoned by the enemy. He had already deceived them and told them that God wasn't going to take care of them. That God didn't love them. That God brought them into the desert to die. And God was feeding them every day. He was giving them water. He was giving them food. He was taking them through the wilderness, delivering them from a superpower, showed his miraculous power, and and the enemy was still able to bite them. He was able to poison them and say, God's not that great. Well, what show are you watching? Do you understand what the enemy is, what the example is for us? The enemy is going to try to poison you and say, God's not that great. So the physical thing we see after they had already been bitten spiritually was the physical biting. The torment. And then he says, look and live. Well, does this pop up anywhere else? Turn to John 3, 14 and 15. Jesus said, you must be born again, Nicodemus, to live. In order to live, you have to be born again. And we know John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. What happens in the verses before that? John 3.14 and 15. I didn't put that in my notes. Bonus material. It says... In 13, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted the snake in the desert, the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only one and only Son, that whosoever believes in him. Do you see it, church? The antidote. The antidote, the cure for snake bite from the garden. Look at him lifted up and live. Whoever believes on him will have eternal life. That means it's not going to kill me. That means I'm not going to die the death. I'm not going to die the second death. I'm going to be resurrected. It means that my life... I don't have to be snake bitten. I don't have to be down on God. I don't have to be against God. I can be for God. I don't have to be an enemy of God. God is for me. God is not against me. God is trying to help me. God is not trying to hurt me. Snake bad, God good. It's really simple. The snake kills, God heals. Look and live. Quit living with serpents and start living with God. Start living above the snake line. Start turning your back on words that make us hate God and make us angry at God and poison us against God because that's the lie from the beginning and that's the lie at the end. And we can't be susceptible to the lies of the enemy. Stand to your feet. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Bow your heads with me this morning. Heavenly Father, right now, Lord God. Father, I pray for a resolve, Lord God. Father, I pray that the enemy, like in Revelation, Lord God, when they looked upon him and said, this is the one. This is the one that deceived all the nations. This is it. Lord, let them see the serpent, Lord God. Let him see his purpose, Lord God, to steal, 
kill and destroy every individual in this room, Lord God. Father, I pray that we look down and we see what was done by the serpent, Lord. I I pray that we see the bite, Lord God, that sin has taken against man. And Lord, let us run to you, the Savior. Let us run to you, the one that was lifted up. Let us run to you, the one that takes the poison out of life, Lord. The one that takes every toxin that the enemy put in our soul. Oh, Father, let us run to you today, Lord. Let us look and live, Lord God. Not just live eternally, but live every day, Lord. In your name I pray, Lord. In your name, Lord Jesus. church you need somebody to pray with you this morning that's why we're here say Chad I've had this poison running through my system I'm so unforgiving I'm so bitter I'm so angry you know what so was I I was bitter I was angry I wanted to fight everybody I was mad at God mad at church all that poison was running through my system at church I found the antidote. He took away the bitterness. He took away the anger. He took away the shame. I mean, no shame is a big thing. He'll take it all away and the antidote will begin circulating in your system. That Spirit of God, when you ask, He'll pour His Spirit upon you. and He'll begin to change you from the inside out. You say, well, what happens if I don't do that? You'll rot from the inside out got that venom of sin circulating in this fleshly body. That's why we're going to die. God wants to remove the flesh and He wants us to be led by the Spirit. The antidote. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. We're going to sing a worship song here. If you need prayer, I just want to encourage you among family members here. Man, I want to give my heart to the Lord. I've never done that. Or Chad, I'm away from the Lord. I'm backslidden. I've been bitter and angry. Find a place up here. I'll pray with you. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. In a word of prayer, this message uh, contains two elements that are the central themes of the Bible. One element is atonement. Atonement means that because of sin, we've fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And it's through the death of Christ that we have eternal life the other theme of this message is what the Bible calls holiness which means I've set you aside for a purpose I've got a special purpose for you and that's the message of come out from among them and God doesn't want you to keep being poisoned by the world He's got a special purpose for you and me. He's separating us aside. Not that we're better, but He has a purpose for us. And if we keep operating in the poison of the world and the wisdom of the world and the ways of the world, how many know God can't accomplish His special purpose that He has through us, for us? Hallelujah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, pray your blessing upon your people, Lord. Lord, I pray that they would be aware and discern the enemy's work, Lord. His deception, his lies. And Lord, I pray that they would also discern your spirit, Lord. The Holy Spirit, right now, they would recognize your blessings. Lord, your love, your care. While the enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy, you want to bless abundantly, Lord God, more than we could ever think or know, Lord. 
want to bless your people, Lord. Speak to hearts, Lord. Bless them as they go, Lord God. In your name we pray. Amen. Hallelujah.